0: Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord be with you. And I'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to the basic trainees at Lackland Air Force Base. There are a whole bunch of them out there, and uh, thanks to the Air Force and the kindness of the chaplaincy there, all the airmen who, uh, are, who are there and training right now are, on Sundays are allowed to worship, and the, the worship of their choice in the service of their choice. And they do so virtually right now. We are normally a part of that on a monthly basis. But we know they're out there worshiping today. And uh, I wanted to give a shout out to them because we want them to know that our prayers are with them during this very intense time of of, uh, training and throughout their service to our country that they have so with maturity beyond their years uh, uh, blessed to volunteer to serve and to protect. Uh, I might add that sometimes we have airmen come in uh, to Lackland and parents uh, are LCMS and they have their son or daughter who's LCMS and they call and, and ask us to put them in prayer and also maybe to communicate in one way or another. So uh, for Airman Basic, Jonathan Padilla, if you are listening in on, on on this today, we want you to say hello from your family in and, and Terrebonne, uh, Or Oregon, and uh, invite you to uh, be with us. And we might be sending you some information, some cards and letters from some of the members of our church here. We're only about two miles from Lackland, and we visit it frequently. We want you to know that our prayers are with you and all your fellow airmen as you go through this training. The peace of the Lord be with you all at Lackland Air Force Base. And by the way, I have copies of the addresses if anybody would like to Send cards along. Okay. I don't know. I have to ask this question. I, 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 I tossed with this all week long. My wife can tell you I was struggling with this all day, all week. I think I was just struggling with the Spirit. You know, every now and then we get into that mix where we struggle with the guy who tells us what to do. That doesn't happen in the military right now. He's, yes, sir. I understand that. But what in the world is going on? This <laughs> is crazy. In a year where a traditional American event like March Madness that celebrates youthfulness and athleticism and unbridled enthusiasm over a round ball being bounced up and down a basketball hardwood court, in a year where that's canceled and is seemingly replaced by another American event we might now call the November Madness, Election Day, which is certainly not about youthfulness, certainly is not a day, but which may also play out on courts. What in the world is going on? In a year where a tiny, deadly, invisible organism can travel around the globe, inflict millions of people, killing hundreds of thousands, and disrupting all manner of commerce. What in the world is going on? In a year where toilet paper is a hotter commodity than the iPhone 12. What? Where makeup sales have plummeted and face masks are now part of your face. In a year where the biggest names in the business world are not Walmart, thankfully, and Amazon, but Lysol and Charmin. (laughs) What in the world is going on? In a world where many Christians, in a year where many Christians are so accustomed to exercising their faith in person, in God's house, have now had to be turning to the gods of technology, those bastions of wholesomeness, TV networks, and social media, and cell phones. In a year called 2020, the number of which somehow, in my mind, says imitates perfect vision, Nothing is clear. It's not even partly cloudy. You ever have any of those transitional lenses where it gets dark the minute you hit the light? Everybody's got transitional lenses right now. Who could have envisioned this monumental mess? How thankful many of us are that in just a few short days, 2020, and be ripped off the calendar and put in the shredder and let's start with something different, an odd number. 2021 sounds really good. You know what? I think about it this way. If ever was a year we could have used a prophet to to tell us about something, it would have been 2020, right? Boy, could we have used a prophet. Actually, as you and I know, we've heard this warning before, many times before. There have been any number of prophecies about such times as this. And for all the numbered years, there have been those warnings. They were not unique at all. There have been many years in between where things look much darker than our year this year. Although some of us may think that's hard to believe. There have been much darker times in humanity. So where do we turn in times like this when, this when things like this rattle our collective cages and make us want to worry and fear? Who do we turn to if we're comfort and assurance for hope for the future? We know the answer to that, don't we? Each year at this time, the church reminds us of that answer. With less than two months before the end of the year, the scripture lessons on the church's liturgical calendar draw us to remember that the end is nearer than it was the last time you were here. That the one whose birthday you're going to celebrate at the end near the end of this year is the only one in whom you should put your full faith and trust. That when he said, I'll be back, he meant when the end is here. Not just near, but that we should always be prepared. So as we await some tangible resolution to the current ongoing political drama and anticipate the light at the end of a COVID tunnel, let us put our hearts and minds on what our Lord says we should have them on, on not necessarily on the things temporal but on the things eternal. And nowhere in the Bible is that more clearly detailed than in the Gospel of St. Matthew. As the last chapters of Matthew depict the end of the earthly life of Jesus on earth, leading up to his death on the cross, they also chronicle Jesus' stern and sharp words and last teachings and clear, very clear warnings about that day, that last day. Think of some of these, the parable of the wedding feast, Jesus' lament over Jerusalem and its people, so many of whom rejected him and refused his offer of eternal life. His prophecy of the judgment to come for that rejection, part of which came some 40 years later when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. The coming again of the Son of Man in glory the lessons of the fig tree, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the tenants All of these are lessons about the sudden nature and the finality of the end times, the last days, the return of Christ, the separation of the believers and the unbelievers. Call it what you will. All of them speak to the suddenness and finality of it to get our attention. In the secular world, we don't have a problem with this. We have a calendar that reminds us what season we're in and and what's happening at the closing days of a year, like we are in now. All of us are already planning for the myriad activities and festivities that go along with winding down a year. We're all eagerly, maybe more so this year, looking forward to Thanksgiving and Christmas. We plan for these events. Why? Because they're always knowable. They're predictable. They're viewable. We just look to the calendar. They're right there. They have this scheduled repeating cycle. The problem for us is the same cannot be said at the end of the seasons of all life. Can it? Oh, there's a schedule. But I defy you to find it on your calendar or on that iPhone 12. That day, though, is knowable, isn't it? It's knowable because we can know that it's coming. Jesus said, but concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven or the son but the Father only. That sounds ominous, but he turns right around and says this, that the fact that he's going to most certainly come should give you this kind of comfort. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not, so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and bring you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of comfort. Especially in days like today. No, our problem is we don't know when. Oh, does that stick in our craw? We always want to know. That's what we're supposed to do. We're intelligent people. We should know. And since we don't know and we can't know, with all due respect to all the young Nostradamuses running around today, what do we do? Normally, we tend to put it on the shelf, even before the elf on the shelf. We put it on the shelf, out of sight, out of mind, because today is itself enough to consume our thoughts, to bring us to worry. There is, however, something to be said about those who stay prepared. And I don't mean going out and building a nuclear-proof bunker and filling it with a decade worth of food from H-E-B. Although H-E-B would probably like the sale. Notice I didn't say the other place. But it's about staying on track, on the faithful course, on the path that God has set out for us. It should be easy to see that path because all the other paths are about nine miles wide. The path Jesus gives us is narrow. It's narrow because he knows there's not that many of us. We will find a way to get off the path if we can of our own. None of us would be on that path. By having a living faith, by being ready and confident in the promise of the outcome that is already set in place for you so that you need not worry. To that end, Jesus delivers that end of day's teachings that you hear about, and especially today in the parable of the ten virgins. In this parable and in others that Jesus gives regarding the last day, he issues very clear warnings. I thought you heard that in the gospel text. Very clear warnings about that suddenness with which that day will come and about certain important attributes, that of watchfulness, that of preparation. And in these days, for us especially, that of urgency to remain steadfast in faith. In this story, Jesus recounts the relationship of a bridegroom and his bride. The bridegroom, of course, represents Jesus. The ten virgins represent the members of the church on earth. We know that the bridegroom from this story wants everyone to come to the wedding feast. In fact, God has told us that over and over again in Scripture. But as this parable implies, not everyone will be ready when he does come. And the turning point of this parable is in the contrasting character of those ten virgins. 5 were told, are wise. Why? Because they brought additional oil, which seems to be important in this text for their lamps therefore those five must have planned ahead must be prepared for whatever is going to happen that night so that they're not left in the dark the other five however matthew says are foolishly bringing only their filled lamp the one lamp no other flasks apparently they are content that the bridegroom will come on schedule and they felt that they too were ready like the other five virgins but we know how the story ends don't we Jesus said those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut the other five were left on the outside looking in they were late to the party not Jesus they didn't come equipped they weren't ready That's a simple enough message, and Jesus even gives us the key to it in the last verse, verse 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Well, that pretty well sums it up. But there's more here. There's more to unearth in this parable. But it does begin and end with Christians being either wise or foolish. Let's get down to the concrete part of this. You're either wise or foolish when it comes to faith, to believing in Christ. Today, more and more people, before even the pandemic came around, have been distancing themselves from corporate worship and from fellowship in the church, from Bible study, confirmation, devotion, regular prayer. It is an unfortunate truth that our country is becoming more and more secular and less and less religious. And the prevailing winds sway many people to abandon their faith for a more immediate gratification and temporal joys. The temporal stuff Jesus doesn't want you to get so caught up in. And yet they're so plentiful. They are so tempting. But I want you to consider the underlying pieces to this parable now, knowing the difference between a wise Christian and a foolish Christian. I want you to consider how you might fit in this story knowing these things. Think about what Jesus says. He said that all ten virgins got up to trim their lamps, which suggests that all of them thought they were ready for that bridegroom to come. Thought that they, everything was well between them and Jesus and their relationship. And oh, when he comes, everything's going to be just fine. Because after all, I believe in Jesus. Jesus. After all, I am a Christian. The implication and the warning here, based on what the bridegroom did find when he arrived, is that some people will appear outwardly to be Christian, but will foolishly take their salvation for granted. Or as Paul wrote to his student Timothy, that when the Lord returns, he will find those having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, and then, then there's the oil for the lamps. The wise women came prepared with extra resources, didn't they? They had more flasks. The foolish apparently were satisfied with what they had, confident that their lamp was sufficient and certain that the bridegroom would not be late to the marriage feast. I find that to be two foolish and consequently fatal misjudgments. What might have been a glorious wedding feast for those five was foiled by a lack of oil. It is the oil connection in Jesus' parable that exposes the glaring distinctions between the two groups, wise and foolish, just as Jesus used elsewhere contrasting groups, the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the chaff, the story of the talents. Here, the wise and foolish are similarly separated by that which made the difference in the other Stories. True faith. True faith. True Christianity. As the foolish learn the hard way, faith is not just standing up and say, hey, I'm a Christian. Faith is being and living in Christ. The commitment to discipleship that takes faith seriously and prepares for eternity. It doesn't happen just because we wake up one day and make up our minds that we're going to be Christian. All of our faith, all of the oil in the Christian life we live is fueled by God's abundant grace and his means of grace in the word and sacraments that come to us as gifts of a loving God. God is our oil well. And from faith, with the help of the Holy Spirit, who speaks to our hearts through the word and sacraments, the power of Christ produces in us fruitful labors of a living faith that wisely, wisely, not foolishly, but wisely sees this life in its temporary nature and uses those temporary opportunities to give thanks to God, to give back the grace that you've been given and to love him who first loved you by going out and actively representing him in your thoughts and in your words and in your deeds. Unfortunately, not everyone will see it that way, will they? The argument for seculars is that this is all there is, this life and here and now. I mean, when you look at what the text says, you see where they're coming from. You don't know the day or the hour. So why spend your life worrying about it? When you can't even see it or know it. And for those who are on the fence about Christianity, you know, those sometimes believing, sometimes not, sometimes doubting, sometimes really thoroughly unbelieving, that worry effect, that fear effect is powerful. But it's foolishness. Because you cannot stand firm in Christ and still worry about things, it doesn't match. Can't worry about your outcome when Christ tells you it's already set in place. You have to trust in Him and believe it. Blessedly, as Jesus' parables express, not every member of the church on earth suffers from such a narrow and short-sighted view. For the practicing Christian, the lamp, though, always needs oil. The church is always a place where God's means of grace supply the fire to ignite faith, to keep it lit brightly to fan the fire of faith. That's how God lights the way for the wise and for the foolish. Some don't come in with extra flasks, though. Some don't even remember to trim that lamp. Would that all might take Christ's words to heart and more consciously respond, conscientiously respond to the call to discipleship knowing that the more they experience the word and the more you get into the word word in personal study, what I like to say, eat the book, the more you will feel the urgency and the hunger to learn more about this amazing Savior we have and the golden promise that is there for our taking, our receiving. As we've heard in today's parable, when Jesus returns, and he will, as promised, many will not be ready. And that's not because they've committed some heinous crime or they're stuffed with an overwhelming multitude of sins. Rather, it's because they, like the the foolish virgins, like the chaff, like the goats, neglected the oil, neglected the faith, We can live for today, and we do, but we should be prepared for eternity. Therefore, keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Be patiently faithful, sharing God's gracious gift with others, so that when that day does come, you too will be part of the wedding feast in the kingdom of heaven. I want to share some verses of a song we're going to sing at the end of this service, but you won't really hear those words unless you hear them spoken, not sung. The day is surely drawing near when God, when Jesus, God's anointed, in all his power shall appear as judge whom God appointed. Then fright shall banish idle mirth, and flames on flames shall ravage earth, as Scripture long has warned us. The final trumpet then shall sound, and all the earth be shaken, and all the rest beneath the ground shall from their sleep awaken. But all who live will in that hour by God's almighty boundless power be changed at His commanding. The books are opened then to all, a record truly telling what each has done, both great and small, when he on earth was dwelling, and every heart be clearly seen, and all be known as they have been in thoughts and words and actions. May Christ our intercessor be, and through his blood and merit, read from his book that we are free with all who life inherit. Then we shall see him face to face with all the saints in the blessed place which he has purchased for us. Oh, Jesus Christ, do not delay, but hasten our salvation. We often tremble on our way in fear and tribulation. O oh, hear and grant our fervent plea. Come, mighty judge, and set us free from death and every evil. Amen.